If you really believe the promises of God, your life will show it as you act on that belief. Is your faith reflected in how you live your life? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to the banks of the Jordan River as Joshua asked the Israelites to step out in faith, following God's instructions for crossing. Listen as David introduces the encouraging conclusion of his message, Crossing the Jordan. Well, thank you for joining us today. This is kind of an exciting thing for me because I don't think we've ever had this happen before where the message that I was preaching in the series that had been planned ends up coinciding exactly with the resource from somebody else beside me, and those two things come together, and that's what's happened. It's um, it's very special because today is part two of Crossing the Jordan in the radio series, and the resource for the month of February is The Jordan River Rules from the pen of Rob Morgan, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. What Rob did was he took this story that we're teaching, and he condensed it into some very practical, usable, transferable principles that will make a difference in your life. I can't tell you how excited I am about this book and offering it to you today. Here's what you do. Take a moment and send a, a letter and a gift to Turning Point. Do your best. Um, we, we know that not everyone has the same ability to give, and the Bible tells us that that doesn't really matter. It's from your heart. It's what you what you believe God wants you to do. And when you send your gift of any size, just say, please send me the book for the month of February. Please send me the Jordan River Rules. We have one for you. It'll be on its way to you. It's our way of saying thank you for investing in what we're doing here at Turning Point. It takes all of us together to make sure that the Word of God is spread around the world. And that's what we're trying to do. So, Ahead of time, I, I say thank you for your generosity, for your response to this appeal. And uh, now let's get back and let's get into Joshua chapter 3 and uh, find out what happened in the crossing of the Jordan. Moses said to his people, I want you to consider all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in your wilderness experience. For 40 long years, God had wonderfully and miraculously cared for them. First of all, they got into the wilderness through a miracle, remember? They came to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were hot in pursuit of them, and the Lord just opened the Red Sea up, and they walked over on dry land. And throughout their 40 years in the wilderness, God had given them not a road map as we would understand it. He gave them something better. He gave them a daily guidance program. Every day they were led in their journey by a pillar of cloud, and when it was so dark you couldn't see the pillar of cloud, they were led at night by a pillar of fire. It was a divine guidance system for 40 years, and it never one time failed. Some time ago, an army general who studied this passage of Scripture decided it would be fun to figure out what it would be like to take care of three and a half million people for 40 years in the wilderness. He did some logistical studies, which I find interesting by way of illustrating God's provision for these folks. He said that to feed three and a half million people, it would have taken 1,500 tons of food per day just to avoid starvation on their behalf. 4,000 tons a day if they eat like modern Americans. I think that is something to say to us, doesn't it? At today's cost, said this army general, it would have taken $5 million a day 
to feed the people of Israel, and it would have made it necessary if they moved food as we do today for two freight trains one mile long to bring their food to them every day. And yet how had God provided it? He dropped it to them every day miraculously. Not only that, this same general determined in his studies that if you were going to have enough water to take care of three and a half million people, that he did his calculations like this. He said to wash a few dishes and just to have drinking water, it would have necessitated 11 million gallons of water per day. There were no lakes or oceans around, and that would have necessitated a freight train with 1,800 cars on it to bring them water every day in tank cars. And then he went on, because of his military background, to discuss what it would have been like to set up camp for three and a half million people. Now, some of you who are campers know what a challenge it is when there's only three or four of you. Can you imagine three and a half million campers? Well, in his figuring, he came up with these numbers. He said it would have taken, every time they set up for camp, 750 square miles, 20 miles wide, 35 miles long, or an area one-third the size of Rhode Island. Every time they moved, they had to find a new space like that. I find this most interesting as a father with four children. What about their clothes? You know, there wasn't a mall, a shopping mall out in the wilderness. There was no pennies or Sears, or you couldn't order things through the mail. How is he going to care for this people for this long period of time? Well, I want you to see this with your own eyes because it is truly marvelous. Hold your place again in Joshua and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 once more. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we'll look at one other passage. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. This is wonderful. Deuteronomy 8, 4 says, Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell for forty years. Now, ladies, this was the most marvelous garment ever produced. It lasted for 40 years, and it never wore out. Every husband could wish for such a thing. And some of you think, yeah, Pastor, I'm working on 40 years on this one right now. Listen, it was a marvelous thing that their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Well, the people moved through the hot desert, and they didn't have transportation. They walked. What about their shoes? All right, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Deuteronomy 29 and verse 5. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 5. And here we have again the word which the Lord is saying by Moses to his people. Verse 5, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you. Now watch this. And your shoe is not waxen old upon your foot. A pair of shoes that lasted for 40 years. I tell you, I can't keep a pair of shoes on my son for 40 days. 40 years. And they never wore out. You say, well, it must have been some sort of miracle synthetic fiber that God... No, God just did that for his people during this time. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, what does this mean? It simply means that when there was no bread in the past, God rained it down from heaven. And when there was no water, God used a flinty rock to supply it. And when there was no guide, he put a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in the sky. And when there was no clothing, he made miraculous clothes that never wore out. Yes, the people of Israel were standing on the bank of the swelling Jordan, and fear was in their heart. Behind them was the experience of 
the Red Sea and the wilderness. Before them was an unknown land. Before them was the great need of food and clothing that they would surely encounter on the other side. But behind them was the remembrance of all that God had done for them when they walked around in the wilderness and there was no visible, tangible human means of sustenance. I say all that to say to you and to say to my own heart that the one thing no one can ever take away from you as you face the unknown future is the past. You may not know what's out there, and you may not know what God's going to do for you out there, but the one thing you do know is what God has done for you back there. And most of us, if we just stop for a moment and reflect, could put together a litany that would be many pages long of how God has met our needs. Oh, it may not have been through miraculous clothes or shoes, but in his own wonderful way, he has conventionally supplied our needs, and he has helped us. I think that in this busy day and age in which we live, when we're always working so hard to get one step ahead, we'd all do ourselves some good if we'd find a quiet place periodically to go through our journal or our diary or our mental notebook and remember how God has helped us. The best way to get ready to face the unknown future is to reflect upon God's blessing in the past. And what God has done, he will do. The God of the past is the God of the present and of the future. He will never let his people beg bread, and we can trust him. Now let me show you the second thing that's here. First of all, they had the performance of God in the past, and the key word there is reflect. Secondly, they had the presence of God in the here and now, and the key word there is focus. It says here in the third chapter of Joshua that the people were commanded to follow the lead of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, verse 3. If you read this section of the book of Joshua, you will discover that the Ark of the Covenant is alluded to many times. It is mentioned in chapters 3 and 4, 15 different times. And usually it is mentioned like this, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Now, the Ark of the Covenant has fascinated people from the beginning of time. In fact, you probably know that it is the story behind the Raiders of the Lost Ark. After it gets its idea from the Bible, it takes a direct left and never comes back. But it comes from this whole concept of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, you see, men and women, represented the presence of God among his people. It wasn't anything massive. It was a part of the worship of the people in the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was a box about 45 inches long and 27 inches deep and wide made out of acacia wood. It had a lid on the top of it and there were gold-covered poles inserted through the golden rings on each side of the Ark of the Covenant. And according to Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant was to be conveyed on the shoulders of the Levites. Some of you remember the story of David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back home after it had been away for a long time, and they decided to bring it back on a cart instead of carrying it on the shoulders of the Levites. And a man had reached out to steady the cart when the oxen stumbled, and when he touched the Ark of the Covenant, he died instantly. The Ark of the Covenant was representative of God's presence and his holiness. When we get to the story of the falling down of the walls of Jericho, you will see that the people, as they marched around the walls of Jericho, carried the Ark of the Covenant because that was God marching around the walls. 
If you want to get a good picture of how important it was, just look down in your Bibles to the 10th verse of the third chapter. And in the first part of the 10th verse, you will see as Joshua speaks how critically important this was. Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Joshua said, You want to know that the living God is among you? Here is how you know it. The ark of the covenant is in your midst. And God told Joshua, and Joshua told the people that it was time to march over the Jordan River that the Ark of the Covenant, borne by the Levites, would go out in front of them, and the Ark of the Covenant would lead them through the Jordan River to the uncharted territory on the other side. I don't have to be cute or clever or creative to point out that the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God among the people. And the Lord Jesus Christ, men and women, is our Ark of the Covenant. He is the one who is not only representative of God, he is God among his people. If you look down in the fourth verse, you will see that the people of Israel were instructed that they should keep space between themselves and the Ark of the Covenant, a space of 2,000 cubits by measure. A cubit was 19 inches. Thus, there was a space of about 3,000 yards between the people and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, some folks have said that God said they had to keep that space between the Ark and the people because the Ark of the Covenant was sacred and he didn't want any accidents, people touching the Ark. But I think if we read the text carefully, we will see why it was that the Ark of the Covenant was to be so far out in front. Notice the fourth verse again. You shall keep a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it. Now here it is. That ye may know the way by which ye must go. God wanted the Ark of the Covenant far enough in advance of the three and a half million Israelites so that they would all always be able to see it, that it would never be out of their sight. If it got too close to the people in front, the people in back would never be able to see it. So he made sure that there was a great distance between the people and the Ark of the Covenant. Now here's our key word, so that as they went through the Jordan River, their focus would always be on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, may I say to you, men and women, the hardest thing that we all do when we face fear-inducing experiences is to make sure that we keep our eyes on the Lord. Are we not tempted, as Peter was, when we're in the midst of God's working in our behalf, to have a moment of fear and look around at the waves? And you remember what happened to Peter when he did that? He took his eyes off the Lord. As soon as he began to look at the wind and the waves, down he went. One of the most important principles when you're facing the challenges of the future, the unknown territory before you, whether it's a new career, a new opportunity of service, some challenge in your life that you wouldn't want to tell anybody, the most important thing is, first of all, review what God has done for you in the past. That'll give you a great foundation of trust and faith in Him. Then secondly, make sure as you march through the experience that you never lose your focus Focus is a matter of perspective, and when you see God in the midst of it, you will never be afraid to go forward. But if you ever take your eyes off of the Ark of the Covenant, then all you will see is the swelling waters of the Jordan River, and you will once again be filled with fear. I'm not a psychologist. Don't pretend to be one. Don't even understand most of the terminology, but I'll tell you something. Wrapped up in that concept is one of the great truths that believers need to get their arms around. They had 
the performance of God in the past, key word, reflect. They had the presence of God in the here and now, symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant, key word, focus. And thirdly, they had the promise of God for the future, key word, believe. Now watch carefully verse 5. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, well, here it is, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What a promise. Can you see that band of Israelites kind of wondering what's going to happen? Seeing the waters overflowing the bank of the Jordan, having absolutely no idea how they're going to get across. And Joshua says, listen, sanctify yourselves. That means clean yourself up. Make sure you're right with God because tomorrow God is going to do wonderful things for you. This is not just positive thinking. You know, we have some today who just grab hold of positive truth without any reference whatsoever to the Word of God and just tell people to think positively. We're not talking here about positive thinking. We're talking here about an absolute promise from Almighty God delivered by His servant Joshua to His people. And Joshua said, tomorrow God's going to do something wonderful for you. And that's wonderful to have the promises of the Word of God, isn't it? Do you know where they are? Somebody told me a long time ago that there were 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. I've counted them on a couple of times, and it's frustrating because it never quite comes out to 365. And I don't know where I missed them or what, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of them. A lot of promises in the Word of God to keep us from fearing God. But it's one thing to know about the promise. It's absolutely something different to believe the promise Well, let me show you what I mean. Turn down in your Bibles to the 14th verse. As we view what happened, it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over the Jordan and the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, that as they that bear the Ark were coming to the Jordan, now watch carefully, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth its banks all the time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city, etc., etc. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over the Jordan. Here's what happened. God said to the Levites, put the ark of the covenant on your shoulders and start walking toward the Jordan River. And Walk into the water until your feet are in the water. Nothing's going to happen. That would not have been a day to be a priest or a Levite, especially if you were assigned to be in front. Can you get the picture? Let me help you with your imagination a little bit. I read a description of this in one of the books I studied that helped me get a real vivid picture in my mind of what this must have been like. Can you imagine with me for a moment? Let's just pretend that I'm telling you this story and you listen with the mind eye, all right? At last, a little group emerged from those densely crowded hosts. It was the chosen band of priests, white-robed, barefooted, who slowly descended the terraced bank of the river, bearing on their shoulders the sacred ark, its golden lid and bending cherubim hidden beneath the covering of blue. How awful was the silence! 
How fixed the gaze of everyone who followed each of their steps. How hushed were the voices of the wiseacres who had been loud all the previous days, protesting that the passage over the Jordan River was impossible and that it would be wiser to wait until the water had dwindled to its normal width when the stream was four or six feet deep and then they could wade across. Nearer to the river the little procession went. But even when it was within a yard of the river bank, its approach affected nothing. The waters showed no disposition to flee or fail. But when the feet of the priests were dipped into the tiny wavelets at the edge of the river, brown with mud, yeasty with the foam of their hurried rush, a marvelous change took place. They began to divide and to shrink away. And as the priests pursued those waters, descending even further toward the midst of the Jordan, they fled before them as if they were panic-stricken. And the people followed the priests and walked over on dry ground. Can you uh, get in your mind's eye what it would have been like to be the priest as you moved ever closer to the water? Lord, when is this going to happen? Could you just, Lord, just, I mean, maybe a little ripple or something. But you see, when you have a God who's performed in the past, and you have a God whose very presence is manifest in the here and now, and he gives you a promise for the future, you must believe that promise even when you cannot see the evidence of it taking place. What does Hebrews say? That faith is the evidence of things not seen. And faith means that when you have a clear promise from God relative to the future, you march forward on the basis of that promise and you keep going by faith until God determines in the process that he will validate your decision. And sometimes you may be up to your knees before he does that. Someone has written that if you want to be a man of faith, you can't be afraid to get your feet wet. All of us know that. We know as we reflect upon our lives what it's like to face the future and think, I know this is what God wants. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And with his promise, we go forward. And of course, you know the story. They came to the other side as they raise up a memorial to God in his faithfulness in their behalf. Let me ask you to remember three things when you face your fears about the future. Reflect on the past. Take some time to do that. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ who is in your midst and believe the promises which he has given you and real belief acts in faith on the basis of what God has said. Amen. Amen. Well, all of us have a Jordan to cross somewhere along the way. We need the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit, and we need the principles that we have learned in this message. And uh, Rob Morgan takes those principles to a whole new level. He takes these principles to the practical, transferable, usable, you-can-have-this-work-in-your-life-today illustrated principle. It's a special book that he'd written. He didn't write it because I preached this message. He wrote it just because he found these principles in the Word of God. And um, 
This 118-page gift book is our resource for the month of February. Uh, after today, just one more day to tell you about it. So if you've been thinking about wanting to have this book and you'd love to have the opportunity to read it and, and strengthen your life by it, here's what you do. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point today and simply say, I'd like to receive the book for the month of February, and we'll send it to you. Uh, I can't promise you what the mail will do, but I promise you as soon as we get your order, it will be processed and the book will be sent its way towards you so that you can have it as soon as possible and benefit from the principles that it contains. Now, we're ready for the weekend, and let me just remind you again of the importance of your being in church this weekend. You can also watch Turning Point on television if we're at the wrong time for your church attendance. DVR us and watch us later. And then, of course, we'll be back here on Monday uh, with the final message for the month of February, and we're going to talk about the monuments of victory. Have a great weekend, friends. We're so thankful for our privilege of sharing with you the Word of God. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How are you being blessed by Turning Point? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Jordan River Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we conclude our series, A Nation in Crisis, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. All we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a Swiss psychiatrist who is famous for her research and books on the subject of death and dying. She wrote, Before I started working with dying patients, I did not believe in a life after death. 
I now believe in a life after death beyond the shadow of a doubt. I've been around dying friends several times, but their deaths are not what caused me to believe in life after death. I became convinced of the afterlife by reading the New Testament, specifically Jesus Christ's words, He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's promise of life after death on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.